Well, that video asked the question, do you believe in miracles? And that's the question we want to ask today is, do we believe in miracles? How many of you would be able to say with an uplifted hand that you have at some point in your life either experienced or seen what you believe to be a miracle? Would you raise your hand? All right, that is probably 80% of who's here. My question is, if that's the case, then why don't we see more? Why don't we believe in them more? And why don't we pray for them more? If we've all if the majority of us have experienced them, then what is going on? Well, first, I guess we should determine what a miracle is. What is a miracle? Well, nearly there are nearly 200 miracles that are described in the Old and the New Testament, plus hundreds and hundreds of others that are done by unnamed individuals and the apostles in the New Testament, and then hundreds of others done by Jesus. According to the Biblical Studies Foundation, a miracle is an unusual and significant event which requires the working of a supernatural agent and is performed for the purpose of authenticating the message or the messenger. That's the technical definition of a miracle. I believe there are two kinds of miracles that we're going to look at this morning. Two kinds. The first would be an instantaneous miracle. And that's what most of us would typically think about when we hear the word miracle, the kind where God supernaturally removes or resolves a problem. That happens at a moment's notice. The cancer is gone. Sight is restored. Several years ago, I prayed at this altar with a man and several other people who had a disorder and he'd had it his entire life where he could only eat just a few things. And let me tell you, the few things he could eat were not things that you want to eat. And so he and his wife came to the front and we prayed that God would miraculously and immediately change his situation. Well, a couple days later, he called to tell me that he was eating anything he wanted to and that the doctors had no theory about what had happened to change his diagnosis. Well, I have a theory. It's more than a theory. I think that God instantaneously healed him at the altar that weekend and gave him the ability to eat anything he wants. These are amazing when they happen, aren't they? Those instantaneous miracles that within moments changes someone's life completely. Jesus operated to a great extent in instantaneous miracles. And they could be categorized into four distinct categories. Jesus operated in what we would call nature miracles, doing something with nature, changing the way it operated. Healing miracles, working in the lives of people who were sick resurrections, raising people from the dead, and casting out of demons, demon-possessed people, where Jesus would speak to the demon and the demon would leave the person. Just consider some of what Jesus accomplished in three short years of public ministry instantaneously in people's lives. In John 11, a man that's dead for four days is raised from the dead. Now you think that's a miracle. Here's the really, this is really the miracle. He didn't smell. Mark 1, a man possessed by a demon is quieted and freed from it. In Luke 7, the dead son of a widow is raised to life. In Matthew 8 and Luke 17, people with leprosy are completely healed and allowed to go back into their society. In Luke 5, men are on a boat fishing. They've caught no fish for an entire day, and yet they throw their nets on the opposite side of the boat and catch a full net of fish. In Mark 8 and John 5, people waiting for healing by a pool that was called Bethesda. They encounter Jesus at that pool and they're healed. 
In Matthew 21, a fig tree dies simply because Jesus tells it to. In Matthew 17, taxes due to the government are found in the mouth of a fish. Remember that in April. (laughs) Hoover Reservoir is going to be packed with us trying to get our money. In all four of the Gospels, a story is repeated of a group of thousands that need feeding and all that is available is a lunchbox and yet everyone is fed. In Matthew 14, Jesus walks on water. In Matthew 9 and 20 and John 9, blind people, some of them blind since birth, receive their sight. In Luke 8, a violent storm completely stops after Jesus tells it to. Those are just some of Jesus' instantaneous miracles. A second kind of miracle is the kind where God chooses to not supernaturally remove or resolve a problem. You say, well, that doesn't sound like a miracle to me. Well, I'll wait. God instead gives His ongoing miraculous strength enabling us to persevere through the problem. This kind of miracle happened really routinely in the Bible and I believe still happens routinely and frequently today. This kind of miracle is what we would call a persevering miracle because it doesn't occur instantly. I believe it doesn't occur instantly because James 1 verse 3 tells us that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. See, sometimes in our life God wants to do more than just instantaneously heal or change a situation. He wants us to grow our faith through perseverance. The Greek word for perseverance is hypomeno. It's formed by a combination of two Greek words, hypo meaning under and meno meaning to remain. So to persevere means to stand up under a heavy trial. You know, the way that a bodybuilder does, you know, when I'm working out with them in the gym. I didn't say I was a bodybuilder. I said I was working out with them. When they lift 300 pounds and hold it up over their head, their arms shaking, their knees ready to buckle, their shoulders stinging in pain without dropping the weights. That is perseverance, holding up under a weight. There are times in the Bible when God just didn't choose to instantaneously heal. Even the Apostle Paul, who according to Acts 19, was able to perform extraordinary miracles did not heal his co-worker in ministry. Instead, God chose to give this man the strength to persevere through his sickness. You see, often God has other plans. Maybe somebody who needs Jesus is in the next bed in the hospital. Maybe a family member needs to come to Christ because of what's going on in your life. Maybe a new level of faith in God's plan is attained because of going through and persevering through a situation. You're in the midst of a miracle, a persevering miracle. Consider 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 11. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 11. But we have this treasure. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that His life may be revealed in our mortal body. 
In this passage, we are called jars of clay. Jars of clay like us can be brittle and frail, can't they? And we can crack and break and fall into pieces. Why is that? Well, because clay pots don't hold up well under extramarital affairs and depression and addictions and bankruptcies. When we manage to keep our lives intact, when they should be scattered in hundreds of pieces on the floor, we and others around us realize that something miraculous is holding us together. Something miraculous is holding us together in those times. What did Jesus say about his miracles? Jesus performed all these great miracles. What did he say about them? In John 14, verse 11, Jesus says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. In John 10, 37 and 38, Jesus says, Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe in me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. And in John 20, verses 30 and 31, this is what Jesus' miracles were described as. Jesus did many other miracles, miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. During the course of His three-year public ministry, Jesus performed miracles that demonstrated His ability to heal, to master the elements, to affect the outcome of others' endeavors, and even to raise the dead. Every one of his miracles occurred outside the bounds of natural law. And all of them had a beneficial result. In these passages, we find that Jesus' deep desire was for people to see the miracles and believe in him and become part of the kingdom of God. And so in Jesus' explanation of his miracles, we find the very purpose of miracles. Ultimately, their focus is to point us and others to Jesus. Jesus never performed a miracle without giving those involved a next step lesson or making sure that the person who received the miracle saw the power of God firsthand and encountered not only the miracle, not only the healing, but His grace and His holiness. Word of Jesus' miracles would often spread in the tight-knit communities of Palestine and thousands began to follow Him and believe. And in His tight-knit group of followers' lives, it grew their faith in the Savior making their commitment to Him go to an even deeper level. The purpose of miracles is simple. Pointing people to Jesus and thus building the kingdom of God. Well, so is God still in the miracle business? I would say yes. He is. Every day, sometimes instantaneously, but most often persevering ones. You see, we can't be afraid of God's miracle working ability today. Some of us, frankly, don't think that God still works in the miraculous today. And I wonder why. I think it has something to do with the fact that we see supposed miracles going on. And we discover that they are not based upon someone who wants to point people to Jesus or build the kingdom of God. They're based upon someone wanting to point people to themselves and build their pocketbook. And so we back off and determine that God is not a God of the miraculous anymore and that we won't pray for miracles because there is no such thing. 
Well, there is no biblical evidence that miracles have ceased and that God does not continue to be a miraculous, miracle-working God. I think others of us are trying to guard God's reputation by not praying for miracles. You know, we don't want to pray for someone. We don't want to pray for a miracle and then not see something instantaneously happen. And so we're trying to guard God's reputation because somehow if God doesn't come through, then that's going to make Him look bad. Well, let me tell you this. God does not need us to guard His reputation. God does not need us to tell Him what He can and cannot do and will and will not do. God is a sovereign God who chooses to act in our lives in the way that points people to Jesus and builds the kingdom to the greatest extent, whether it be an instantaneous miracle or a persevering one. You see, the fact isn't that God doesn't work in miracles anymore. It's that we don't understand how God works in the miraculous. I had a lady come up to me after the first celebration and crying and said, On the way to church this morning, I said to my husband, Why doesn't God hear me as I pray for a miracle in my life? Years of pain. And through tears, she told me in the lobby, she said, I never realized that what God was doing in my life was giving me a persevering miracle. God's still at work in the miraculous God wants us to grow in our faith. He wants us to allow seekers, those seeking after the truth, to see His caring hand in people's lives. He wants us as believers to see God anew and believe that He is still in the miracle-working business. Part of of what we need to learn about living in the miraculous is facing the impossible. And I know some of you in this room are facing the impossible. So we're going to do something a little different as we study Jesus' miracles. We're actually going to go to the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 3. And we're going to talk about what I call upstream faith. Upstream faith. In Joshua chapter 3, we see the children of Israel standing before the Jordan River on its banks. Now keep in mind that Israel had been in slavery for hundreds upon hundreds of years. And this, in spite of the fact that God had promised to Abraham a miracle. Remember what it was? That he was going to give him a son. And that the son would be the father of many nations. And that they would one day live in a land promised to them. And yet they were in slavery. But miraculously, through Moses, there was deliverance an escape from Egypt. But because of disobedience, this uh, interesting group of people spends 40 years on a journey that should have taken about a month. But now they stand on the edge of the Jordan, viewing the promised land with their own eyes. Joshua chapter 3, we see these people standing there, and most historians believe that there were more than a million people standing on the banks of the Jordan, all that was between them and the promised land was one river. There was excitement building. Joshua in verses 3 and 4 announces that, says, watch the ark and then follow it. 
watch this Ark of the Covenant and follow it into the promised land. But let's not forget the Jordan River that stands between them and the promised land. In verse 15, we discover that this river that throughout most of the year is really a river that's fairly weightable. But it was harvest season, verse 15 tells us. And the river was at flood stage. Oh, great. Isn't it just like God to take us to the river when it's at flood stage? It's harvest season. So this raging deluge is there, ready to be crossed. It was a frightening sight in what has been called by many the earth's deepest valley. So not only do we have a river that's overflowing its banks, pushing downstream quickly, it's in the midst of a valley with high walls. And a million plus people waiting on Joshua to tell them how to get across. And so a miracle begins. In verse 15 and 16, we see the beginning of that miracle because as the priests put their foot in the water on the banks of the river, we're told that the water piles up upstream. Look at verse 15 and 16. The Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away in a town called Adam. So the miracle began. And the priest's feet touched the water and the water started piling up upstream. But the people didn't see the pile of water piling upstream. They just knew that they had dry ground to walk across on. And yet a greater portion of the miracle was happening what we believe to be in a town 19 miles from where they were standing in a town called Adam. You know, that was the place to be that day, wasn't it? You're just minding your own business, and all of a sudden the river piles up where you are. And you have no idea what is going on because it's for a million or so people 19 miles away downriver. You see, they saw a miracle, but the real miracle was taking place upstream, out of their sight, God is always working upstream in our lives. We must know that and be able to see when the night is the darkest, when problems are the worst, when things are piling up in our lives and we don't see God at work, that we can be people of faith who believe and know and trust that God is working upstream. God works in all things and He works for our good, but often upstream so what do we have to do to be people to be people of upstream faith three things I believe first is to trust what you can't see trust what you can't see Hebrews 11 1 says faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see A.W. Tozer said this our trouble is that we have established bad thought habits We habitually think of a visible world as real and doubt the reality of any other. We don't deny the existence of the spiritual world, but we doubt that it is real in the accepted meaning of the word. This this world does not appeal to our faith. It is here assaulting our five senses, demanding to be accepted as real and final. 
What is before us is demanding that we believe that it is the only reality and that the spiritual side of life, that part that God is at work in, that is apart from time, that is apart from our reality, is not real. See, the more we exercise our faith, trusting God with our souls and not our eyes, our hearts and not our hands, and open ourselves up to the possibility that we can't see and understand everything, the more we'll begin to recognize that God is working upstream in our lives. C.H. Spurgeon put it this way. He said, Sometimes a fog will settle over a vessel's deck, but leave the top mast clear. Then a sailor goes up aloft and gets a lookout which the helmsman on deck cannot get. In the same way, prayer sends the soul aloft lifts it above the clouds in which our selfishness and egotism befog us and gives us a chance to see which way to steer. Maybe in our lives we just need to get above the fog and look upstream and trust what God is doing. You know, we sing a simple song sometimes around here that says, open the eyes of my heart. Not my physical eyes that I can see what's happening right in front of me, but the eyes of my heart where I can trust God to do what only God can do. And so we trust what we can't see. Second, we let go of what we can't control. Let go of what we can't control. Now, I know no one in the room has a problem with this. Jesus doesn't work on timetables. He doesn't check with us before he makes decisions. In reality, you know, we just can't demand that people stand in certain lines. We can't live life by unmovable due dates, having everything in our lives stacked neatly and under our thumbs. You know, those kind of things just don't work real well when you want to follow Jesus. Following Jesus means giving up control. This is the only way you'll see God at work. Because God will not work in a situation until we get out of the way. As long as we try to fix things ourselves, we haven't turned it over to God so He can work on it. See, I believe Israel was able to see God at work upstream because they didn't form a bridge building committee. They didn't try to figure it out on their own. Don't we do that sometimes? Well, we'll figure the way through this. No, they just went with it. Okay, priest, take the ark and step into the water. Several years ago, I went on a mission trip, suffering for Jesus on the Caribbean island of Dominica. <laughs> hey, somebody's got to do it. Our schedule every day was that we would work, we'd get up very early in the morning and then work all morning with children, well past lunch, and then we would have about a two to three hour break in the mid middle of the afternoon and then in the evenings we would head back in and minister in worship and in preaching and ministering to people throughout the the evening and into the into the night and so we took advantage of that two or three hours and if you're going to be in dominica at the caribbean it just seems logical that you should go in the caribbean and so uh there was just one problem with that on my part i can't swim so the Caribbean doesn't look quite as good to me as it did to others. Yet a, there were several people on that trip, and two of them in particular, Andy Bullard, who's a former worship leader here, was also on that trip. 
who is a snorkeled everywhere in the world, apparently. And Bob Bailey was along, who's a member of our missions team. And they spent a while trying to convince me to do this, to go in snorkeling. If you've ever been in my office, you know that I love tropical fish. And I have carved fish and glass fish in a tank. And so their ploy to get me to try this was that you'll get to see the reality of what it is you love. Okay. Well, here's the, here's the tactic they use. Well, there's salt in the water, and it'll buoy you up. You'll float better. Okay? Now, they're saying this to a guy that when he was six years old, the YMCA sent him home from swim lessons with a note to his mother that said, does not float. <laughs> kind of sticks with you. But years of therapy helped me through it. I'm fine now. You know, I'm going, okay, good, salt in the water. Big deal. Their other tactic was to say, we'll be there. You hang on to us. One of us will be with you at all times. Just put your hand on our shoulder. Let go. Just stop trying to control this. You're not going to touch bottom anyway because it's 50, 60 feet down. They shouldn't have told me that part. (laughs) And then just put your, you'll be fine. So I tried it. And sure enough, it worked. Because it's true. You let go and you let Bob. <laughs> to this day, I have a pet name for Bob Bailey. It's flotation device. <laughs> Not once, though, in that time did I say to Bob or Andy, you know what? I'll take over from here. Why? Well, because... I was going to listen to the people who had my life in their hands. I had lost complete control. The only thing that I knew I could count on was calming down, letting go, and then making sure my hand was on one of them. And it was really no more than that. And over the course of the next few days, I spent hours snorkeling in the Caribbean, seeing the reality of what I'd only seen in little carvings in my office. Was it still scary? Yeah. Was it still a challenge? Yes. But it was certainly easier and better than if I'd have taken control. See, if I'd have taken control, frankly, it never would have happened. And I'd have stayed on the shore watching other people experience and see God's creation. Some of us aren't seeing God at work upstream in our lives, not because we lack faith, but because we insist on having control. So the second step in living a life of upstream faith is to let go of what you can't control. And third is to see pain within the bigger picture. See your pain within the bigger picture. You know, sometimes it's not about us being free from a pain or a sickness or something bad going on in our life. Often we become impatient because we want our situation changed right now. We're focused on today. We want a miracle. If not today, definitely this week. We'll wait, but it better not take a month. But God often does His best work over long periods of time. Building that persevering faith. 
The Bible is a compilation, remember, of 66 different books written over 2,000 years. But we get confused because it just seems as if God performed miracles in people's lives all the time. And that's really just because the Bible condenses thousands of years of history into one book. God didn't deliver miracles every day like the morning paper. Most followers of God that we read about in Scripture went their whole lives without witnessing one supernatural intervention on the part of heaven. The book of Acts alone is believed to occur and and tell about events that took place over a 30-year period of time. And yet we read it and we say, well, reading these few chapters, look at all the miracles that are happening. Look at the miraculous working in these people's lives. That's what the church ought to be. But then we space it out and realize that this is the story of a 30-year process of what was going on in the early church. We have to realize that the pain or what's going on in our lives is sometimes about bigger things than just the pain. My wife and I are in the midst of trying to pick out carpet for our house. Here's my theory now. Just let your wife do it, guys. It's a lot easier. But you know, here's we don't we when we pick we're picking out carpet. We actually we look at this side of the carpet, right? The, the the part that's real plush and it's soft. And Terry likes to take her shoes off and walk around on it and go, okay, no, that's not cushy enough. No, that's rough. No, wait, I don't, no. And then we get into the color thing. What color is it? And is it going to show dirt or isn't it going to show dirt? And now that we don't have kids in the house, it won't need to show dirt. Here's what we don't do. We don't look at this side of the carpet. We don't look at the opposite and go, oh, look, beige. Oh, rough. You see, all that this side of the carpet does is hold the good part together. We don't pick carpet based on this side. We pick it based on that side. Why? Well, because this is the side that is real. The other side just holds it all together, and that's how our pain works. That's how the situations of our life works. If we get caught up in looking at the underside of everything, we're going to get discouraged and believe that God isn't somehow working or doesn't somehow care. But when we look at the reality that God's at work for a bigger purpose, and all that stuff under the other si- underside just holds it all together, doesn't it? The great theologian Elton John said this, If there's a God in heaven, what's he waiting for? I don't believe he's waiting for anything. He is at work in our lives, miraculously, even though many times it is through persevering miracles. God isn't sitting in heaven waiting to do something. God's at work in all of our lives and will be at work in all of our lives to far greater extents when we realize that all we have to do is trust him to be a miraculous God that we want Him to work in the miraculous, that we let go. Stop trying to control and trust Him and start living upstream faith. Will you believe? Will you believe today as you leave this place that God is a God who is always working upstream and trust Him to be that kind of God? Will you believe in the impossible? That God can handle the impossible What are we told in Scripture? With God, how many things are possible? All things are possible. Is that the kind of God that you believe in? 
Or are we going to get caught up in the impossible? You see, when we start looking at just what's happening in front of us, everything starts looking impossible. And we forget to believe. You see, there's a man that's been dead for four days, but he's raised from the dead. Surely that's impossible. There's a man possessed by a demon, and he's quieted and freed with Jesus' touch, but that's impossible. The son of a widow is dead, and he's raised to life. Now that is impossible. People with leprosy are completely healed. Impossible. Those men out in a boat fishing all day, haven't caught anything. Jesus says, put your nets on the other side. And they pull in nets that are so heavy they can't catch fish. Impossible. People waiting for healing at that pool, they encounter Jesus and He heals them. Impossible, right? A fig tree not bearing fruit, Jesus curses it and it dies. Impossible. Those taxes due, found in a fish's mouth. Impossible. A group of thousands who need feeding, and all there is is that lunchbox, yet they're all fed. Impossible, right? Jesus walks on water. Impossible. Blind people, some since birth, suddenly see. Impossible. A violent storm completely stops when Jesus tells it to. Impossible. You know, maybe your life is like mine. Full of impossibilities. My life can be transformed. My emotional hurts and burdens, they can be healed and taken away. Impossible. God wanting to use me for His plan and for His purpose. Impossible. The God of heaven, born of a young virgin girl and then 33 years later, is killed but then raised from the dead for our sins. Impossible. You see, the reality is there's a theory that says when we're traveling in speeds of excess of 125 miles an hour, tunnel vision sets in. And all we can see is the walls closing in around us. How many of us in our lives, that's what we really believe is reality? We're moving along so fast trying to control it that we have tunnel vision and the walls start being built up. What is the reality? How should we be living? Well, the reality is that Jesus spoke to a dead boy and he raised up and spoke to those in the room. The reality is that there were some fishermen who couldn't catch fish and Jesus said, put it on the other side and they caught more fish than they ever could have imagined. The reality is that Jesus said to demons, 
be gone. And they were. And men and women were returned and restored. The reality is that one day, an angel came to a young virgin girl and said, you're going to bear a son and he's going to be the son of God and he will take away the sins of the world. That is reality. Because we serve a God who is not a God of the impossible. He's a God of taking the impossible and making it possible. We serve a God who wants to tear down the walls of our disbelief, of our confusion, of our control. He wants to take hold and do the miraculous in our lives. He wants to teach us how to live upstream faith. Faith that says, I can't see exactly what God's doing, but somewhere upstream, something's going on. Because my God is a miraculous God. God, we call upon you as that miraculous God today. Challenge us to once again believe in the reality that you are a God that takes impossibilities and turns them into the possible. That you are a God that at times steps in and instantaneously changes a situation. But God, also that you're a God who steps into situations and causes our faith to grow through perseverance, often to change the lives of others around us, often to give us a deeper relationship with you. God, help us to be people who believe that you still are a miracle-working God. God, help us to realize that the point of the miraculous is to point us and others to Jesus and to build the kingdom of God, not just to do something cool in our life. Maybe today you're here and you stepped in and you need a miracle. The only thing that's going to fix a situation in your life is God stepping in in a miraculous way. And maybe He'll choose to do something instantaneous. Many of you are going through physical struggles, financial struggles. You have loved ones. You have children fighting and battling addictions. You have loved ones who don't know Christ. Maybe your house is being foreclosed on. Maybe you don't know where the next meal is coming from. Maybe there are some people around you who desperately need to see God work in their lives. I think God wants us to be people of the miraculous. I think He wants us to trust Him anew. To not just be people who can raise their hand and say we've, we believe we've seen a miracle sometime in the past but we ought to be able to ask how many of us saw a miracle this week in process and we can raise our hands knowing that God is at work so we're going to open up this altar and I want those of you who believe that you, want, you desire a miracle in your life or you desire to see one in the life of somebody you care about like Spurgeon said sometimes it's just a matter of praying and allowing ourselves to step up above the fog and see the reality, to be able to look upstream and see what God is up to. So I'm going to ask that you come and you just stand around this altar, around these boxes, and as you pass these boxes that say impossible, remember that that's not what the case is. God stamped the boxes possible. God stamped the boxes reality. So I'm going to ask as we stand and as we sing that you come, and then I'm going to ask others of you to come. And I want one person at least with every person that comes. And, but get ready because last celebration there were over 100 people here at the altar. Asking God for the miraculous. 
So you come. Let's stand and you come and you stand here asking God for the miraculous. Just call out to Him. Tell Him, God, I'm ready for you to do what only you can do. And in a moment or two, we'll have people gather around you and pray for you. Share with them specifically what miracle that you want to see God do. So space yourselves out so people can get to you. Come on. Let's be a church that believes in the miraculous. You want to see a community changed? Word starts getting out that God's at work in our lives. Lives will start to change. We need to be a church that believes that God can do the impossible. So come up. What's the, what miracle do you need today? You know, this isn't some magic little wand that's going to change everything. Maybe you've prayed for years upon years and you've had people pray for you. Maybe you've come to the elders for anointing and you don't feel like anything is working. Like that lady this morning said, I've prayed for years that God would work and I want to know why God isn't answering. And today the answer God gave her was, I'm doing a persevering miracle in your life. Watch for me to work in the people around you and what else is happening outside of your pain. Now I want some of you to come and I want at least one person gathered around every person here. So come on and pray for these people. Come on. Some of these are, these are desperate needs in many cases up here. So begin praying. We got about 70 people up here, so we're going to need 70 prayers. Come on. It's the responsibility of the body to pray for one another, to lift one another up. If you're down here, just share what miracle you, you desire that you want to see God do. I need a lot more. A lot more. If you don't have somebody praying with you, raise your hand so somebody can find you. It gets a little hard here. You need somebody to pray with you. Somebody to pray with you. Raise your hands. Right over here. Some over here. Right here in front. Just begin out loud lifting up this request. Make sure you know what you're praying about. Don't pray for an unspoken request. Let's work in the reality of what God wants to do. Anybody still need somebody to pray with? Right here, Jay. Anybody else still not have somebody? Right over here on this side. A couple over here. I need a couple people to pray with people right over here. Come on. Let's make sure everybody's prayed with. Way over on the side. Rebecca. Right here in the green. team's going to sing. Let's keep praying and let's seek God through this great hymn.